you've probably heard or maybe experienced that you don't really know something until you have to teach it. Uh, and that is certainly true. And I feel like right now I could go back to the beginning and just do it all over again and get more insight and different perspective because the Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword. And so it's just it's been a tremendous blessing for my own heart, and I pray that it's been the same for you. Now, one of the reasons that I intentionally and, and prayerfully went slowly through the book was because I wanted the contents of this letter to become so familiar to you that you know where to go when you're facing certain things in your life. I don't, I don't expect that everyone would memorize this, although you get extra spiritual brownie points if you do. That's a lie. Don't believe that. But I, I want you to know what this letter says. And so we've moved pretty slowly through it so that when you hear someone talk about, well, God made this salvation possible, but you just have to exert your will. You have to go after it. And you can take you and say, wait a minute. It says in Ephesians, it's by grace that we have been saved through faith and that it's not our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. Or you hear people talking at work and say, well, just fudge the report. Lie on it. They're, no one's going to know. You go, wait a minute. Ephesians somewhere it says, and you can go and you can look to chapter four and it says, do not lie one to another since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see what I'm saying? I, I don't expect that you memorize the entirety of the Bible, but I do, as your pastor, want to go slow enough that you can get it and that you can have a reference point to go back and to be able to arm yourself for what you're going to face in the world. So that's been one of my motivations as we've gone through this. This will be sermon number 51 from the book of Ephesians. And when we started this letter, we, the very first Sunday, uh, I think it was September 13th, uh, we read the whole letter together. And we started this journey by doing that so that we could get things in context, so we could see the whole scope of what Paul was doing. One of the, I wouldn't call it a disadvantage, but an effect of going slowly is that sometimes you lose the broader picture. And so I, I tried to dial out and, and reference other places as much as we could. But this morning, I want to finish just as we started. We're going to read the whole letter together this morning. And there's a couple reasons why I wanted to do this. Um, someone asked me a couple weeks ago, how did, how did Paul get the letters to the churches? Because there was no mail. The internet had not been invented there was no electronic communication. These letters were sent to the churches via messenger. We're going to see about Tychicus when we come to the last part of this letter now in a few moments. And they were sent, oftentimes with a gift, they would give updates as to how Paul was doing, how his ministry team was doing, and these letters would be sent. And when they arrived, so let's say in the case of this letter, Tychicus comes to the churches in Ephesus, they gather together, just like we're doing right now, and this letter would be read to the church. Now this was done for a few reasons. Number one, literacy in the first century was very low. The ability to read and understand. If you had money, you could be educated, you could learn how to read and write. But for most of the middle and lower class, there was no access to be able to learn to read and write. It was there, but just wasn't very common. So the letter was not distributed but it was read corporately so that everyone could hear. They could receive the word of God through the Apostle Paul. 
Another reason for this was that just the cost of reproducing a written document was extremely high and pretty, pretty hard to even get your hands on papyrus or ink or <clears throat> excuse me, whatever else it would take to copy these things. So rather than trying to put financial resources, which they didn't have, towards the reproduction of works, they would gather together and the letter would be read to them. And so this morning what I want to do with you is kind of recreate this first century church experience. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I will probably never ask you to do again. I don't want you to open your Bible. You can. I'm not going to get mad if you do. But I want you to receive this letter as I read it just in the same way that people would have in the first century. Sometimes when I'm following along... uh, I read something and my mind starts to go somewhere else. Or you, you hear, oh, that's a different translation. So then your mind starts to kind of work and make adjustments. I just want you to receive the word of God this morning. Does that make sense? I, I, wa- I want you to know how these folks felt 2,000 years ago, getting this letter delivered to them from Tychicus. They received this. Now, we've, we've had the advantage of already hurting it. Hurting, hurting it. <laughs> I can't even talk this morning. We've heard it. Herding, shepherding, I can make a connection there somewhere. Anyways, we've heard it, you've read it, we've explained it, we've gone through it. However, I just, I just feel like it would be a really good thing for us to do this morning to just res- let the word of God wash over you. Just hear it. Hear it for what it is. And I think the Lord will bless this. So I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and pray with me and we'll read this letter from Paul together. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you have preserve this church and you have brought us through these last 18 months or so of studying the book of Ephesians what a blessing that we are able to sit here together out of the elements we're not getting wet and rained on right now you have provided a place for us to meet you have provided everything we need Lord for our life for godliness you have preserved your word through thousands of years now of attack and criticism and trying to undermine the message of the gospel, but the gospel stands because it is your truth, not man's truth. And so we come together today under the banner of Christ as those who have been washed in the blood, if we are Christians, and we come with thankfulness, Lord. We have no righteousness in ourselves to make ourselves presentable to you but we make mention of Christ's righteousness by which we stand before you and just as you declared yourself well pleased in him father in him be well pleased in us as we are united to him by faith as we receive what Paul calls every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places Would we have a heart of thankfulness for all that you've done? What a tremendous gift. I pray that we would never, ever take your word for granted, but give ourselves to learn and study and apply. So Father, now as we look one more time at this letter, open our ears to hear what your word says, open our understanding, and would this be a time of encouragement, growth, and strengthening And I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power at work towards us who believe, according to his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you were dead in your sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Oh, so good. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared before him that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off in peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped, makes itself grow together in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, or hear this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed through his holy prophets and the apostles by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make known for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be proclaimed to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all gentleness and humility and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we would no longer be children tossed about by every wind of doctrine and the waves and carried about by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, Christ makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them according to the hardness of their hearts. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, with its former practices and manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger And clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... And impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ in everything, so also wives ought to submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having put on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having fastened on the belt of truth, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and for me also, 
that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. That's a good letter. <laughs> That's a really good letter. I think one of the main, you know, I was just thinking back over these months and trying to kind of pin down the, the main thing that Paul wants. There's so many things that he talks about and I think that the summary of the first chapter with these three uh, admonitions to live to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory three times, I just can't get away from it. I think Paul gives this instruction to the churches so that we are equipped to live our life not selfishly, not for your own pleasure, not for your own renown, but for the glory of Christ. It's the purpose of the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God. It's just been such a great, what a great letter. Well, our remaining minutes here, I want to look at this last section. Now you can open your Bible. <laughs> I'll allow it. <clears throat> Verses 21 through the end are Paul's final benediction. Okay, this is the only section we have not gone over, and it's nothing too detailed, nothing too heavy in here but he sends his final greetings and benediction to the church. So Paul first met Tychicus in the city of Ephesus. So we read the book of Acts. You'll find out that Paul spent about three years in Ephesus, ministering there, planting churches, establishing elders, getting things set up so that when he left, things continued as they were. He meets Tychicus there. Tychicus probably comes to faith in Jesus as a result of Paul's ministry. And he becomes a close friend. Paul trusted him greatly. And this can be seen in a number of ways. He trusts Tychicus to bring this letter to the Ephesians. But not only that, he brings the letter to the Colossians and to Philemon. So this is not just some random errand boy that Paul picked up and said, Hey, would you, as long as you're traveling that way, why don't you do this? This was a trusted brother in the Lord, a part of Paul's ministry team. And you can see that just by the way he refers to him at the end, a beloved brother and a faithful minister. So when Tychicus arrives in Ephesus and the church is gathered together, he gives them this copy of the letter and they read it just like we just did. And can you see now too a little bit, I was thinking about this, <clears throat> the importance of Paul putting elders in every church. Because what if he just got the letter <clears throat> and then it was like, well, it's up to you to figure out what it means. <laughs> that would have been kind of unfair and, and things would have got out of hand pretty quick. So Paul not only gives this inspired uh, letter to the church, which becomes canonized into our scriptures, but he also spends his time establishing elders and deacons and people who can handle the word of God and explain what it means. There's what a plan of God, you know, that, that is so complete. I just, I thought that was really significant. So he wasn't just some random person. Tychicus is a, is a beloved brother. He's trusted and he's faithful. 
similar to what Scott was talking about with these other guys, Epaphroditus, and these people who were back and forth and communicating with Paul. That's how it happened. That was the communication then. It was by word of mouth and by sending written letters through a human uh, delivery person. Now, Paul usually ends his letters with some form of grace and peace. If you look at all of the letters Paul wrote, they all end with some variation of him saying, grace and peace to you, or peace be with this one, and grace to this, or something like that. So it's kind of a trademark, a a signature of Paul's, and it's no different here. Look again at these last two verses, 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. So in this final benediction, and you guys remember what a benediction is, we do it every Sunday, but it's it's a proclamation of the way things ought to be, right? I mean, we recognize that it might not always be exactly. Paul did not have in mind that there would absolutely be this all the time. Or when we say our benediction, we're not saying this is exactly all the time how it is. But when you say that, you're saying this is how it ought to be. And so he's giving this benediction saying, this is what I desire. This is, this is what can happen if you walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And so in this final benediction, he says that grace will be extended to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he adds this qualifier with love that is beyond corruption. Love that is incorruptible. And for whatever reason, this hit me this week. And I just, I want this to be the last exhortation that I give you from the letter of Ephesians. There's a whole bunch of stuff I could have said. And you just heard it all. So not much more I can add to that. But as I was thinking, I asked myself a question. I'm going to ask you the same question. You know what it means to be, this isn't the question, pre-question. Do you know what it means to be, have something corrupted? What does that mean? It, it tarnishes, it, it ceases to be as, as good as it was. It, it once was this, but Due to corruption now, it's, it's, it's breaking down, it's decay, it's all that kind of stuff. Paul uses the same word in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about immortality, right? So it's like this everlasting, kind of untouchable type of a thing. So when he says that grace be with those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love that is incorruptible, unable to be corrupted, what does he mean? I think that Paul knows that there are hundreds of things in our lives that have the potential to corrupt our love for Jesus. Distract, weaken, water down, whatever word you want. He uses the word corrupt. And so I asked myself this week, what is there in my life that could potentially corrupt my love for Jesus. If that happens, by the way, we're ineffective. If your love for Jesus is not pure and motivated by what God has done for you and dependent upon the Holy Spirit, it's no good. And I'm not gonna tell you what I found something. I'll tell you one-on-one if you wanna know what I did. But I'm not gonna say it because I don't want you to think you have to do what I do all the time. But I want you to think about that. What is in your life that has the potential to corrupt or weaken or water down your love for Jesus. 
Maybe it's a relationship that you're in that does not fit within the bounds of what God has laid out for a man or a woman. That will corrupt your love. You need to get out of it. Maybe it's attitudes and behaviors towards the people you interact with most, family, coworkers, children, spouse. Those will corrupt your love for Jesus. Those will weaken your love for Jesus and you need to get rid of those. What is it? I just gotta say, after going through this letter and reading everything that Paul has told us in here, what wouldn't you get rid of to honor God? What wouldn't you get rid of so that you can receive what Paul calls every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? It is so worth it, brothers and sisters. Whatever it is in your life that is pulling at you and distracting you and causing you to just, oh, I don't have time to get in the Word today. Oh, I forgot to pray. What, what is it? Get rid of those things. Knowing Christ, knowing the love that He has for you, knowing what God has done to purchase your salvation should cause us to humbly self-examine and say, we are so unworthy. So God, whatever is in my heart, take it so that my love will be pure, uncorrupted. That's Paul's desire for this church. Grace The grace of God is extended to those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love that is beyond corruption. So I just want you to ask yourself that as we close this book. As we come to the end, my heart is full of what God has done and I didn't really plan this or think about this but I would just like to sing the doxology with you. This is what Paul means, I think, in chapter one when he's talking about theology and then this overflow of worship. So he says, God chose you before the foundation of the world to the praise of his glory. He loved you and adopted you into his family to the praise of his glory. He sent Jesus, verse seven, to redeem you by his blood to the praise of his glory. He made known the mystery of his will to the praise of his glory. You you getting that? You feeling that this morning? So I'm gonna lead us in this and we'll pray and we'll come to the table. But just let all of that theology, all of that truth about God motivate your heart and stir your affections for Jesus. Can we do that together? Let's do that. Father in heaven, what a privilege. What a joy to know you. What a blessing to be called one of your children. What a confidence we should have to know that if we have turned from our sin and cast ourselves upon you for mercy, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. I pray that each one of us, Lord, would leave here with a deep appreciation for the word of God, for how you've preserved it through the ages and given us hope and a future. Lord, even now as we come to the table, remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can live our life in praise and worship to you. I give you thanks for your goodness and for your faithfulness. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. Amen.